Well, uh, it's, it's, a, it's election season, and I think there's, what, a few hours left, a couple days. Everyone's wondering what's going to happen, um, what the outcome's going to be. And, you know, I, I've gone through this, and this, you know, at 52 years of age, I, I've, I've experienced elections. I've, I've been on the winning side, the losing side, more losing than winning. And, and I think everybody's wondering what's going to happen on Tuesday. And I think whether people are apathetic or fatalistic or wherever you are in the, the spectrum, you, you still have a, a feeling about the election and what's going to occur. And I was thinking about that. And, and then in the midst of election myself, and as Sandy was pointing out, it was tough. And then Angie Simpson was with us uh, last service. Um, we had a chance to take communion together, and it was a sweet time. And, and I, I, was, I was thinking, in the midst of this election, one of the greatest struggles I've had, and and Sandy said, you know, you know, Rob, because you've run. Well, I think as a congregation, we've all run because you've had to vicariously deal with it through me. Um, I, I think the hardest thing for me has been a temptation to want to react instead of respond. Uh, a temptation to look at people as, an, as the enemy as opposed to looking at them as an opportunity of opposition. Um, and and, and that's, that's where I've had to do the most personal reflection and dying. I, I don't want to be angry at anybody. And I think what's occurred in this election is the vitriol and the anger has risen to unbelievable levels. And as Christians, how do we, how do we deal with that? How do we still love our enemy? When I say enemy, enemy in regards to an opposite of ideology. How do we still love them? Well, I, I, I don't like them, but I love them. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, Jesus used the last words on the cross to Telestai. He said, it is finished. When they were spitting on him and mocking him, he even said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He poured his life out for those who hated him. And if you run for public office, you run for the people who hate you. And you love them even though they despise you. And you do good to them. And you continue to try to do good to them. And you don't take it personal and it's water off a duck's back. That is very difficult. And especially when I saw some of the things that were written about me, my initial response, and I was talking with a friend, my initial response is I wanted to put together the, the string of words that were in my mind. I wanted to put pen to paper, or I wanted to put my mouth to a, a vocal ex- expression. And the Lord always tells me no. And he makes me wait until my, my, the Bible says, calm and quiet your soul like a weaned child until I'm settled. And I don't open my mouth and I don't respond until I'm settled. And I die a thousand deaths going through this. And he doesn't let me speak or move until I love the person I'm writing about. That's hard. Because my flesh doesn't like that. My flesh wants to be justified. My flesh wants to get revenge. My flesh, my ego, my self-preservation doesn't like to be attacked. And he was, Jesus was a lamb silent to the slaughter. Does that mean we don't open our mouth? Does that mean we don't speak? No, we speak, but we do it in love. Speak the truth in love. They go together. And we get into this political bend where we're just vitriolic and we're, we're caustic and we just create a cesspool that destroys. And we never win anyone. We never compel anyone. We never touch anyone. And that's where politics can get very ugly and nasty and contrary to what God desires. And the temptation for me, the testing for me, comes in that in a great way. I have other struggles, mind you. It's not just that. And I know the room is filled with struggles and temptation. Temptation meaning testings. Temptation means that there's a right way and there's a wrong way, and we're tempted to do the wrong thing. 
the, 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 the testing comes when we, we overcome that and we do the right thing. And the right thing usually comes at a cost to ourselves, meaning yielding and dying and surrendering and, and being kind when others are not. And, and I, I didn't respond. And I was touched by the, the, the number of letters that were written on my behalf of people, most of them I didn't even know. And the, and the Lord was just saying, those are lives you've touched. And I used to think, you know, God, if I'm struggling like this, I can't imagine how the congregation is dealing. And the Lord said, wait a minute. You're the hardest one in the room. You're the most difficult one. That's why I put you behind that wooden stand. And the Bible says that. The Bible says God takes the weak things of the world to confound the, 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 the wisdom of the wise, the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. And, and what he was saying is, Rob, I put you behind this wooden stand because you're the weakest in the congregation. The Bible says as a pastor, I'm more strictly judged. I live in a fishbowl. My kids are more judged. I'm more judged. And I like it that way. I like it that I can't get through a supermarket without everybody looking in my basket. <laughs> and you'll find a periodic bottle of wine. And I've been candid with you about that. And, and my, my feeling in relation to all of this is, I like that I'm more strictly judged. And I, and I look out at the congregation, and the reality is we all have these sins that easily beset us. And we're all struggling. And you get to those crisis points where you want, you feel as though God is just somehow he took the day off. Or, or he's gone out of business because this wouldn't be happening if God were in control. Hello? I wouldn't be in this circumstance if God cared. Hello? And we wonder where he is. And I'm his child in this filial relationship. Well, where's dad? When's he coming through? And that can be a health issue, a financial issue, a relational issue. Everybody's got him. It could be a sin issue, habitual sin issue. You're white knuckling this thing. And you're, you're now on five days of sobriety and you, you're just about to crawl out of your skin. I get it. Where's God in all of this? Where's dad? Where's papa? He's a good dad. Wonderful father. And the thing is, he knows how to test us because dads do that. My kids don't like that I make them study. And as Tom Landry said, a coach is somebody who pushes men to do what they don't want to do so they can become the kind of people they've always wanted to be. I teach my children that, that you, you deny your carnal desires in order to pursue excellence. Freedom is not, not the absence of restraint. Freedom is restraints for the purpose of excellence, to obtain liberty at levels others would never enjoy. And my kids start to get that, but they test you. Why do I have to do this? When do I get to rest? How come I have to keep studying? What do you mean I can't go out tonight? If you have teenagers, you know what I'm saying. But I've been there. I've done that. I know what's required. And I know the God that you'll be accountable to. And you are every day. And I need to live that before you. And I need to establish that for you. And, and this is the trial, and, and, and it's a test for my children because that's what life is. It's, it's you study the material, you're tested on it, and then you apply it in your life. That's life. Study, test, apply. Study, test, apply. And, and this is exactly what we're coming up against. And temptation to the devil is trying to derail you from doing what's right. God never tempts man. He allows the devil to tempt us for the simple sake that we see it as a test. 
He knows that in him is the fullness of Christ and all things we need, he has. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we but rely on him, the test we will prove to pass. But if we give in to the temptation, temptation, when it's conceived with our will, produces sin. And when sin is fully formed, it produces death. And Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the author of death. And he wants to wipe everybody out. And what happened is, in Genesis chapter 1, Adam gave the keys of the kingdom of the earth that God had given him over to Satan. Satan rules in the affairs of men, and, and, and he's, he's a ruler of this dark age. But it's us, Christians, yielded to the Spirit and the will of God, denying our flesh, picking up our cross, honoring God by doing what is right, walking through those temptations, honoring God, and it brings preservation to a world that's, that's imploding by the second law of thermodynamics that everything is reducing to its least common denominator. It's winding down. We're bound by time. We're a preservative. We're holding it together by doing what's right. We, we, we affect government. We affect society. We affect culture. We affect family. And we do that by walking in truth, walking in the light as he is in the light. We're honest men and women. We do what, what is righteous, and it's this, this power of righteousness that establishes life on the earth. Without that presence, death reigns. Governments driven by man-centered the, uh, uh, ideology, uh, Stalin, not, uh, Hitler, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, billions have died. But for those nations, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, those nations flourish and they protect life. And, and that, that is what we're up against come Tuesday. Win or lose, it doesn't change our calling. Win or lose, it doesn't change the fact of what we're called to do. And we're going to be tested. We're going to go through trials. And don't think it's strange that we're tested. That, that we're, we're rising to levels of excellence to serve one another and to serve the lost and to love them. And that's a test. And you step into the public square, it's a test. And, and I, I thought about this because... Temptation is so difficult for us. I know this is a long opening, and I didn't do it for a service, but it, I was really compelled as I was up in my office. This is what we're, we're going through. This is only a test. We're all going to pass. We're going to be okay. doesn't matter what happens Tuesday. Now, we vote, and we engage in the, in the public square. But results, God moves, and he always has, and he always will. We're not discouraged. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I share this with you because I think everybody goes through temptation. I know that was heavy, so let me lighten it up a little bit. Here's a joke. <laughs> there was once a poor country pastor who was livid when he confronted his wife with the receipt for a $350 dress that she had bought. How could you do this, he exclaimed. I don't know, she wailed. I was standing in the store looking at the dress, and then I found myself trying it on. It was like the devil was whispering me, gee, you look great in that dress. You should buy it. Well, the pastor persisted. You know how to deal with him. Just tell Satan to get behind me, Satan. I did, replied his wife. But then he said, it looks great from the back too. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. This is, this is from Reader's Digest about a plight of a man. Uh, this man said he was shopping in the mall with his wife when a shapely young woman in a short form-fitting dress walked by. And as she walked by, his eyes followed her, which caused his head to turn sharply to the left. And without even looking up from the clothes that she was examining on the rack, his wife said, was it worth the trouble you are now in? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's funny. Um, you know, my, my wife is on her way back from Oakland. She went up to her nephew's court of honor, and uh, my daughter Natasha's coming in. She can pick her up at the airport. And so uh, I was at the house, and, and then Kelly put on a party for the bridesmaids. And so my house yesterday was filled with women. It was estrogen levels were way high. And so I took my son, Michael, and I said, hey, let's go to a movie. And I took him to go see Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Strange uh, was produced by a guy named Scott Derrickson, who's actually a believer. He's a neat Christian guy. He's done a number of films. And uh, I was wondering how he's going to take an occultic movie and tie a Christian theme into it. And uh, I, I was, you know, I, that's why I go to these movies, because it facilitates conversations with my son and popular culture, and it opens that door to communicate. And so I'm sitting there with him. And it was a fascinating movie. And I, and I, I like the idea that here this famed surgeon who loses his hand, says to this Eastern guru, uh, the ancient one, uh, I don't believe in, in the spiritual realm. I, I believe in matter. And uh, that's all there is. And, and uh, at this point, she does this thing with him. And all of a sudden, he's brought into this mystical world. And he starts to pursue a spiritual dimension of his life. And the Bible says we're a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. And people say, well, it's just matter. There's no spirit. And on and on and on. I like that it's going to start to facilitate that conversation. I like that you know, this ancient one compromises by, you know, uh, the ends justify the means. So she was using evil to keep herself alive in order to do good. And, and he kind of, the, the producer kind of put that into question, which was cool. Because uh, people think, well, I'm doing good, even though I'm doing evil, because ultimately the ends just, no, it doesn't. <laughs> you always do good. And uh, so watching this was, was interesting. But the part of it is the man started selfish. And he was egotistical. He was this great surgeon who loses his hands. And this humility brings him to a place where he has to come to terms with that. And the only hope to find purpose in his life is to serve others. And this is where it brings him. And, and, and really, he had to die to this, this old man, this, this Dr. Strange, to, to be who he would become. And I, was, I thought about that because that is life. This is the test. And so as we come into chapter 3 and 4 of Matthew, it's a long opening. We're going to stand in just a moment. It says that this is a temptation of Jesus. It's not. Jesus isn't tempted. He was tested. And, and he was God. Perazo means tested in the Greek. It's not the temptation of Jesus. For us, it's a temptation. For God, it was a testing. And thank God he overcame it. And the way he overcame it, we're going to see, is a template. What he did to overcome the testing and to pass the testing is a template that every one of us can overlay to our life and find success. So you come in here with your sorry self like I did today and you're looking for hope. There's a, there's a template we're going to put over our life that Jesus is going to lay out here for us. But we're going to set the stage by looking at the last closing verses of chapter three that we didn't cover last week. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to begin in a, in a, a, a water setting, probably a greenery around and crowds. Heavens open up. The Trinity is present. You have the Spirit descending on Christ. You have Christ present. You have the Father speaking from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son. All this is taking place right here at the Jordan at the baptism of Christ. Here we go, verse 13, chapter 3. Jesus came to Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. Heavens opened up. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. 
And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Wow. That's pretty cool, isn't it? You have the whole picture of the Trinity right there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spirit descending, the Father speaking, the Son receiving. Wow. Commissioning, empowering. And then we go to chapter 4. Luke points out in his account that the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness. Right from this beautiful baptismal spot with the presence of God, driven into isolation, from crowds to isolation, into a desert. That's what the wilderness means. It's probably over you know, triple-digit temperatures. Matthew points it out. Let's pick it up. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led, or as Luke says, driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted or tested, parazo, by the devil. And when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. And that's not a joke. That's, there's, a, there's a reason for that. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, and the Greek outline for that is since you are the son of God. It's, he's, he knows he is. He just, watched, he just watched the heavens opened up. He saw all that take place. He says, since you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. He's telling him to do a miracle that only God can do. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, close out of Deuteronomy. Then the devil took him up into a holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, or since you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. He quotes out of Psalm 91 of all things, because later in Psalm 91, it says that you will crush Satan. (laughs) He didn't quote that part, does he? And Jesus responds, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. In a moment, all the kingdoms of the world. He sees them. Wow. Taj Mahal and everything. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you but fall down and worship me. And now Jesus would get them when he go to the cross, but he could do all this without having to die. Just right now. All you have to do is worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and only you shall serve him. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Angels came and ministered to him. That's our text. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I ask your blessing on the study of your word as we see this template for our lives. May it be very clear to all who would listen to this message to apply to their own lives and to mine as well. And I thank you, God, for your provision. Bless us now, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please be seated. Fascinating thing about this passage is that Matthew's recounting it, Matthew's writing it, um, but Jesus went to the Spirit, or was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and, and he was driven into the Spirit by the wilderness all by himself. So he goes from a place of, of large crowds, a heavens open, cool waters running, to being driven into oppressive heat, isolation, and starvation, and and. And so he's all alone. So really, this, this account of Matthew happened when Jesus said, fellas, are you struggling? Yeah, we are. He says, come on, I got a template for you. Let me tell you what happened in the wilderness. And then he lays this out, and Matthew's writing it down as an eyewitness of Jesus sharing these words. This is how you overcome temptation. This is a testing of God. Satan wants to tempt you to do evil. He wants to destroy you. He wants to derail you, but God is going to use it as a test to establish your character and to make you the person you've always wanted to be. And, and I want to show you how the Father, by the Spirit, empowered me to do the same. And everything I did, you can do. I didn't do anything supernatural. 
Uh, All I did was I was relying on the Spirit, dependent upon the Father, and I quoted Scripture uh, that that I had hidden in my heart that I wouldn't sin against the Lord. And everything I did, you can do. That's the template, and I want to lay that out for you. And so that's what Jesus did, and that's how Matthew ended up writing this down and, and relaying it to all the disciples. And, and this is the, the, the profound nature of it. To Satan, it is a temptation. To God, it is testing. And, and so Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Now, here's what happens. The Spirit says to him, the Father, through the Spirit, says to the Son, no food. You're going to go out without food. And he's in the wilderness, so there is no food. And if I provide for you, then you can eat it, but you stay here until otherwise notified. One day goes, two days go, three days go. Now, if, if you've ever fasted, uh, the longest fast I've ever participated in was 15 days, water only. And, and um, it was unbelievably difficult for the first three days. Uh, from day four up until day 15, it was a, a, a exponentially easier, still difficult. And I made it worse because... <laughs> First three days, every 10 minutes, I'm looking in the refrigerator, you know, and just like, oh, what I'm going to do to you, Bacon, later is just, oh. And then, and then, you know, making it worse, I'd watch the Food Network, you know. <laughs> Last service, it wasn't appropriate, uh, and I said it, so I, I didn't want to. I, I, what I'd said in last service was that when you look at the Food Network, it's like watching porn, and I wasn't going to say that this service, so I won't. Um, <laughs> so... And then where were we? And so, so, you know, these, these first three days for me were awful. And it was, it was difficult. So you can imagine Jesus, you know, the human body going through the hunger pains. And hunger's immense. And, and he's a male. So let me talk about to the men here. You know, the, the sexual drive of a male peaks at age 18 and starts to decline. And then a woman's peaks, you know, 30s, a little bit later. And, and, and you watch this. And, and at age 18... Uh, and even for men going into their 30s, the four most intense drives of a male, uh, first is for air. A man can go about three minutes without air, and then water, about three days without water. And then food, a man can go about 40 days without food. But the fourth most intense drive of males is sex drive. And so, you know, when I was in the 15th day of the fast, what I found was as the food was denied, this temptation faded as well. It was fascinating. This thing I struggle with all through my adult life, through adolescence on, oh, that struggle just, just dissipated. And what I found in fasting is the clarity uh, because your body in eating food, you consume the food, the blood rushes to your stomach to digest the food, and then you come out of that, and then you, you're, you know, whatever you ate causes triggers for other things, especially if you have a high you know, carbohydrate diet, on and on and on. Well, your, your whole day is consumed with food, where you're going to eat, and you're thinking about, you're finishing a meal, thinking about your next meal, where are we gonna, what are you hungry for, what are you thinking of, and you just something... Tr- captivates you, triggers you. And food consumes so much a part of your day. Well, it did for me. Well, now food's gone, and I'm, I'm now on the seventh day of this fast, say, and, uh, and I, I, I'm sleeping four or five hours a night because I don't need all the recuperating time for what my body's having to process. I, I'm, I'm wide awake, and, and I, my head comes off the pillow, and you know I want to sleep to make the day go longer, but there's no sleep because there's... And when I'm reading, I can read everything, and I'm memorizing it, and, it's, and stuff is just in the clarity because... Your body goes into what's called ketosis, and you have the fat cells, which are a very efficient energy source, and it burns the fat cells, and so it's, it's high intensity, and it's almost, I hate to say it's like a high, because I mean, you're, you're addictive, and you probably just, let's do that, you know? 
and, and, and that's where I was. And, and reading and, and then the spiritual nature, because I'm not having to, to deal with these things that used to easily beset me. Those are gone, and I'm having a freedom that I've never experienced before. But I'm realizing if I don't eat something, you know, I'm, I, and I, w- I would get weak towards the end of the day, and, I, and, and you, you lag a little bit, but your mind doesn't stop working. It's fascinating, just absolutely fascinating. Well, Jesus is sitting there, and he's going through this and processing it and, and contemplating the Scriptures, and the Word richly dwells in him. He's going through all these things. One day goes into the next. Another day goes into that day. And now he's 40 days into this. And you say, well, 40 days without food. Well, I know folks who've done 40-day fasts. And some of them, had, they've had physical damage as a result. Others have survived it just fine. I know people who've done three-day fasts and struggled with it, had stomach issues. And, and I would leave that between you and the Lord. I, I remember early as a pastor wanting to get the congregation to fast. I, don't, I think a 24-hour fast is okay for a congregation. Uh, but beyond that, that's between you and the Lord. And, and here's, here's what's fascinating about it. The text says for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and we, we find in uh, uh, Exodus 34, 28, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, he neither ate bread nor drank water for 40 days. A man can't do that. That was supernatural. Somehow God sustained him. My, my mother and father, when they were close to death, uh, they lived longer than they probably could have because of the IV, because they weren't eating anything, but it was the fluids that kept them going. Had the water been denied them the fluids, they would have died probably quicker. So the human body with water can sustain, but here, you, you, and, and Jesus is out there. Now, 40 days, the text then says this strange statement, which almost seems comical. It says, afterward, he was hungry. It's not, it, it's, it's not there for comic relief. It's, it's stating a physiological phenomenon that the body, and you've seen this with African children starving, or if you go into Bangladesh and in those areas, you know the children have their bloated stomachs? Um, and, and, and when they're starving, their stomachs bloat. What happens is the human body eats itself. So when it takes all the fat stores and has nothing left to consume, it's eating the muscle. Then it goes into the vital organs. And, and that's a critical juncture. And before it goes into the vital organs, the human body immediately says, you've got to get something to eat because at this point we are doing destructive damage that you cannot recover from. And so every mechanism that God has wired the human body with turns on. And this, the, they, they say that the hunger pains, the desire is so intense, it's unlike any hunger you've ever experienced. And really what the body's saying is, eat now or die. So when this little simple statement says he was hungry, what it's saying is the human body, his body was saying, if you don't eat something, you will be dead shortly. Now you want to talk about testing. The testing is 40 days already. I would have given up and said, you know, let them all go to hell. <laughs> I want some bacon. Thank God I'm not Jesus. But Jesus, 40 days, even through that testing, he comes to this place, he's hungry. Now he's dying. He's dying. And I want to talk to all of us, including myself. We're at a crisis point in our life. And I went through all the issues, financial, relational, physical, addictive, whatever it is. And you're wondering where God is right now. That's Jesus. I'm dying, Dad. And you know what? Satan isn't a nice guy. He's not going, oh, man, Jesus is going through the ringer. He's saying, Rob, you've, you've had a hard week. I'm not going to dump on you. No, Satan waits. And, and Luke says he wanted to come back at a more opportune time. 
you know, because it says the angels came minister to Jesus. And Luke's account says that, and Satan said that he was looking to come back at a more opportune time. Like this was an opportune 40 days without food and he's dying. Satan wants to come at you at the most critical juncture of your life so that you question God's filial relationship with you. God doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. And that's when he wants to dump on you and whisper in your ear, why don't you take matters into your own hands? The ends justify the means. Just do what you need to get your deal done. You deserve some me time. You, you, nobody cares. You've been providing for the family. It's about time you get a little something you want. Right? And at that critical stage where you want to do some self-indulgence, that's where the test comes in, and that's where all of a sudden that flashes up on the screen, and that billboard appears, and that person calls you, or whatever happens. And the trigger mechanisms just start flying. And you want to go running because you've been white duckling that bad boy. And that's where Satan just comes in and he just starts dumping on you. And it's there that he visits Jesus and he goes after him with the three tools that are that the only tools in his tool chest. And, and Jesus is laying out the template. He says, this is what he's coming after you with because this is how he came after me. This is, this is the best tools he's got. And it comes, and John ended up writing about it later. First John chapter two, verse 16, it says, for all that is in the world, everything that's in Satan's toolbox, all that's in Satan's toolbox is this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the father, but of the world. This is all he's got in his toolbox, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So he comes after Jesus with all three of those. The first one he comes after him with is the lust of of the eyes. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, or since you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. I know you can do that. It's not that Jesus wouldn't. I mean, we know that he turned the water into wine, right? We know that he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He can do that, right? It's not that, but, but Jesus is giving us a template. He's not going to do anything that we aren't able to do. So he says, turn those into bread and everything's fine. And, and it's at this point, because he would have to turn them into bread for his own sustenance, and not rely on the Father. Why is the Father letting this happen to you and me? Does he hate us, or is he wanting us to become people we've always wanted to be? Is he testing us? We study, we're tested, we apply. We study, we test, we apply. That's what makes us stronger to serve in a fallen world. We're preservatives. We're the salt and the light of the earth. God needs you to be ready for the battle and the conflict. And so at this point, we're critical. You're dying. You and I both know your dad ain't here. Why don't you just take matters into your own hands, get your own bread and call it a day? Why don't you just go borrow the money? Why don't you go steal that? Why don't you go sell that? Why don't you go engage in that or indulge in that? He's not showing up. And Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If God didn't say it, I ain't doing it. God said he'd provide for me. Well, it's the 11th hour. You're dying. I'm not dead yet. And if God wants to rise me from the, raise me from the dead, he will. I trust him. There's some folks in the congregation that have concealed weapons permits. Others are officers and the like. And people said, Rob, you should be concealed weapon. You should protect yourself. And I don't. Because I like to be reminded that I'm immortal until God's done with me. The only reason, and, and I'd be thankful if anyone who had a concealed weapons permit were in a theater with me so they could protect my children. And I've told my sons, look, if anything goes down, I remember after the shooting in Colorado, the kids were scared in the movie. I said, you just go for the exit. I'm going after the person shooting. Because dad, they'll kill you. I said, I know where I'm going. You go home and take care of mama and the rest of these people don't, I don't know where they're going. I want to make sure that person's taken down. 
Now, I, I hope that I'm that strong when time comes. I, I believe I will be by the, by the strength of the Lord. I don't want to be, but if that's the case, I mean, in that situation. And so here he's saying, all the circumstances say that I should take matters in my hands, but I won't because man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God said he'd meet my needs. He'd minister to me. I'm trusting him. And you know what, folks? You're in a testing period right now. Calm down. Trust him. He's got this. Oh, you don't understand my story. Oh, yes, I do. Every one of us understands your circumstances. They're all relative. I don't want to dismiss yours, but don't use that as an excuse that nobody understands you. You're buying into the lie. God understands you. And he knows exactly what you can handle. He won't test you or tempt you beyond what you're able to bear. I can't handle this. That's exactly what I used to say to my coach. I can't do that. And guess what? I could. A coach pushes you to do things you didn't want to do so you can become the person you always wanted to be. And you find yourself on a victory block going, how did I get here? I never thought I could beat that person. God knows what you can handle. Trust him. And so Jesus uses three words that every one of us can use in our template. Ready? It is written. The problem is, the problem is our template, it is written. What was that verse again? That's why you, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The scripture says, no temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man, when you're being tempted, God will give you a way out. I memorize that. You should too. And, and all these passages that the Lord gives us are for these times of testing. And then uh, I'll push through because I know we're limited on time. Again, the devil took him up, verse eight. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse uh, five. Devil took him up in the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest, you're, uh, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the tool in Satan's toolbox of the boastful pride of life. You've got control over the angels. You're in charge. You run this family. Tell them to shut up, do as you're told, and like it. Beat them into submission. Is that God's word? Ah, I can't tell you how many times in counseling, sitting down with somebody whose life is in shambles, going, my stupid pride. My stupid pride. Some of the most prideful people I've ever met are in rescue missions. Put the potatoes over there. I don't want my food touching. I'm looking at you going, you're lucky you have any food. And I'm thinking to myself, ooh, watch yourself. You can switch roles real quick. (laughs) Stupid pride. And this is what he pulls out of his toolbox. Don't they know who I am? You're a sinner saved by grace. I deserve better. Do you you want what you deserve? Who wants mercy? Who wants grace? Who wants justice? Oh, justice for your enemies, but not for yourself. You want mercy. Boastful pride of life, the tool he uses. And he he says, you've got control over the angels. Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm in submission. We're all under submission to the Father. We do what he wants. And then it comes to this place, verse eight. Again, the devil took him up to the exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all the things... Uh, 
all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And it's fascinating that Jesus didn't question his authority to own those things because Adam had given those things in the Garden of Eden. When God had given them to Adam, Adam gave them to Satan. He didn't question his authority that he owned the kingdoms of the world. And in a moment's time, he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth. And as I was thinking about that, I think this is the lust of the eyes or maybe even the lust of the flesh. You can intertwine the first and the third. All this can be yours. In a moment's time, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world, Taj Mahal and the Great Wall and the palaces of every king. And, and I've, I've seen in the news, some news stations, uh, is, uh, British, BBC, around the world in 80 seconds. Have you ever seen that? You're like... And you're watching all... And you're all around. I've been to, I've been to f- over 40 countries... I've flown in the biggest private jets. I've driven the fastest cars in the world. I've eaten the most luxurious foods. I've stayed in the most luxurious of resorts. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And if this is all there is, there ain't enough. You get it. The rest wanted to clap. And, and here's what's fascinating. Satan could show him all of that in a moment's time. I mean, you go to these places and you think, and you're sitting there and you're like, Okay, this is awesome. This, and driving really fast, you're like, is there anything else? Is, is there anything else? Because it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't satiate. Moment, but you're still left with your empty self. And in the midst of all this, doesn't matter what you buy or what you own or where you've been or what you can amass, he shows it to him in a moment's time. And here's, here's what the scripture says in Ephesians, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. What Satan can provide, he can show in a moment's time what God is going to bless us with, and he already owns whatever it is Satan thought he wanted to give. But it's going to take ages for us to realize what God has in store for us. We're going to be cruising through cosmos and and you know, galaxies that you can't imagine. 93 million miles between us and the sun to get to the next solar system, traveling at the speed of light, we'd have to hit millions of lifetimes. Unbelievable. And we're going to just be blazing through that. Some of you can't fathom it, but that's the reality. And you're going to give all that up for this, a bowl of beans. Oh, that's good. Whistleberries is what I call them. That's, That's a joke you put in your pocket for later. And, and as he said this, all these things I give you, if you'll fall down and worship me, Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then the devil left him for a more opportune time and then the angels came and ministered to him. You know what's fascinating? Everything that Satan wanted him to do, Jesus did. Jesus turned the water into wine. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. The angels here came and ministered to him uh, just like Satan said that they would. But all this was done. And, and obviously the Bible says that at the... Name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, so all the kingdoms, everything submits to him. So he got everything Satan was promising, but in God's timing. But we want what we can't have now without getting the testing and the provision to be able to care for it properly. Right? I mean, I think the time should be reversed. You got older guys driving these really cool cars because they've amassed wealth to be able to afford them. I think you should start as an old person in life and then quickly just crawl into the womb and dissipate, right? You start with the Ferrari and the really young wife or whatever they do. 
and then, you know, just, and then just start wearing blue jeans and walking on the beach. And then, you know, and then somebody starts taking care of you and you just get, and you get younger. And that's how I'd run the universe if I were God, but that's, he didn't ask me. But all of this comes because it's a testing to provide for us. And this is why the Lord does these things in our life. And this is a template for us. It is written, it is written, it is written. Every temptation, every struggle is a test that God is, is causing us to trust him, to be those people we've always wanted to be, to affect the universe that's imploding and dying. And we step into it as Christ left heaven to step into this fallen world to bring life and life more abundant. And, and here's what happens. When you go through the testing process, you realize something very profound. It's not about you. Pausing for emphasis. Did we get that? It's about others. More importantly, it's about your enemies. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. Why did he do that? For you and me. And he wants you to do the same. It's not about your immediate gratification. It's about the lost in the world that need Jesus. It's about your child that needs your time. It's about a community that needs your effort. Well, that's going to cost me something. Amen. Then do it. Then do it. And this is the beauty of the template that God gives us. And I was just thinking of some of these, some passages I want to share with you. Well, I'm limited on time. Let me close with with this. It's said of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, the cross was only for criminals. and He could have said, I don't deserve this. I'm God. He was spit on, mocked, ridiculed, beaten. His body was broken. His blood was shed. And the Lord said in 2 Corinthians 5, For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took it. He took your sin and my sin, all of it, past, present, and future. And he gave you a right standing with the Father to be obedient to him, to obey him. So this fallen and miserable world, you can make a difference. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. You go out there and you love them. And they'll spit on you and they'll revile you. But we have become the righteousness of God in Christ to a fallen world. And every trial you're going through is the perfecting of your faith. What is faith? Faith is trusting God when nothing makes sense.
Faith is taking great risk because you have great need. Faith is stepping out of your comfort zone. Faith is loving your enemy. Faith is changing the world. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he said one word in the Greek translates to three in the English. And his mouth was so swollen from the beating and the lack of moisture. And you become unbelievably thirsty as your blood is pouring out of your body. They moisten his mouth with a sponge so he can loosen his tongue to say so all who were present could hear to tell us die. Translated? It is finished. Paid for. Debt covered. Why do I say that? Because this room is filled with people who are enmeshed in sin. And you don't think God wants anything to do with you. You couldn't be more wrong. He destroyed the power of sin and death on that cross when he said it is finished. And he purchased you with his blood. And he said, God, I've made such a mess of it. And God says through Paul, forget what's behind. That's the past. Strive for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Your past is behind you and your future is bright. Walk in righteousness, no longer be derailed. That was a test. Now it's time to walk in righteousness. And you can do it by my word and by my spirit and by my power. Just trust me because it's not about you. There's an old story my dad used to tell me, and it took me a while to find it, and I did, and I was so happy because I wanted to do it right. I miss him. He used to tell me a story about a camel. One night an Arab had settled in for the night, and he had just fallen asleep when his camel came and asked permission just to stick his head inside the tent to keep it warm. The man granted the camel permission and went back to sleep, a little while later, the camel woke him up a second time and asked permission to put his feet in. Again, permission was granted, and this continued throughout the night until the Arab woke up and found the entire camel inside the tent with him. When he told the camel that there was just not enough room in the tent for the both of them, the camel suggested that the Arab might want to leave. I like that story. Because that's exactly what Satan does in our life, and that's exactly what sin does in our life. Sin slips into our life a little at a time. One day we wake up. We find there's just not enough room for both the devil and Jesus. At which point the devil suggests that Jesus should leave. The reformer Martin Luther was asked how he overcame the devil. He replied, well, when he comes knocking at my door of my heart and asks who lives here the dear the dear lord jesus goes to the door and says martin luther used to live here but he has moved out and now i jesus christ lives here at which point martin luther added and martin luther left no forwarding address (laughs) 
We all struggle, but that's behind us now. We'll have our testing. Stay on the rails. Walk in righteousness. Because you have the power through his body that was broken, his blood was shed, his spirit and his word. And we can make a difference in this dying world by being the righteousness of Christ, by doing the bidding and the will of the Father. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you as we prepare to take communion that it was your body that was broken and your blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. That we have been forgiven and cleansed, past, present, and future. We don't observe the law out of obligation, but out of adoration. We don't observe the law to be saved. We do it because we are saved and we want others to be saved. It's not about us. It's about them, our enemies and those you love. And so God, please help us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow you dead to ourselves and alive to Christ. I pray that this time of communion, Lord Jesus, you said as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so Lord, we remember you because the only good thing in this room is Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that you dwell in each of the hearts that call upon the name of the Lord. We've been saved by faith. We've been saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so Lord, we come to remember you and the price you paid when you said to tell us die, it is finished. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, empower us now to serve you and honor you by the power of your word in Jesus' name. Amen.